Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. On a mixtape just around the corner Did a lot in California Can't wait to drop this don't you Yeah, they gon' have fun with that Smash like song and my song's gon' Welcome everyone, I'm Tim Haraney Listening to the TSN Racing Pod And the Scuderia F1 Pod Sunday Austrian Grand Prix Review If you want more from me, you can get me on social media At Tim Haraney Joining me today is the man himself Mr. Mark Daly from Scuderia F1 Pod. If you want more from them, you can get them at Scuderia F1 Pod on Twitter. Uh, Mark, what's happening, man? How are you? I'm good, man. I, <laughs> I, I'm i just enjoying, I'm reveling in this uh, really exciting Grand Prix that we saw on Sunday because, man, was there a lot of action. And, and I thought after Friday, after Saturday, I just almost expected that Max was going to get the hat trick and win the race as well and it didn't turn out that way and it was so unpredictable pardon me i'm tripping over my words i'm still so excited (laughs) here but it was a lot of fun man i think that this was probably the the best indication or the best what do you even want to call it result that we've had for like the new cars this year because that, that was crazy especially going up into that hill into turn three not only did we see two abreast sometimes three abreast sometimes we saw what five cars going into that turn it was awesome man it was great yeah going into turn one right mark there was like three there's three wide at one time and then yep. heading up into heading up into t3 there was four wide at one point with uh i'm trying to remember who all was involved there it was magnuson i'm gonna get this wrong Magnuson, Schumacher, Ocon, and Norris or Stroll. I can't remember. <laughs> uh, yeah, Lance, Lance was in there as well. But there, there were so many indicators, like there are so many instances of that on Sunday that the fact that we're sitting here after the fact, tr- struggling to remember who was involved at one point, was really a testament of how good the action on the track was. Because I remember at one point, I think it was K Mag and Fernando, and maybe was it Yuki going into turn one. But it was crazy going into turn one. I can't remember. I can't even remember who it was now. But it, where you went into that corner didn't necessarily mean you were going to be in the same position mm-hmm. and coming out of turn one, going up the straight and towards t- turn two. That's how crazy it was, but it, it was great. I mean, we, we did see some, uh, well, we, we saw Pierre getting a five-second uh, uh, penalty for causing a collision with Sebastian. We saw George getting a five-second uh, time penalty for causing that collision with Sergio on lap one. But apart from that, I mean, it was just good, hard racing all day long, and it was it was fantastic. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, enjoyed that. Enjoyed the uh, Formula Two race with uh, Logan Sargent uh, coming home, American Logan Sargent winning the uh, Formula Two race on Sunday, feature race. And then the Formula Three race was awesome, too. I mean, there was just so much good racing uh, going on this weekend at the Austrian Grand Prix. Uh, Mark, where do you want to start with this one? You want to go qualifying first? Well, let's just maybe set it up a little bit. We can talk about 
let's just give out the top 10 in the classification and then just the the update in the world championship because that's kind of i wouldn't say it's kind of giving away the 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 end of the story before we tell the story Mm. but if we kind of maybe leave it to the end there's so much ground to kind of cover in between so let's let's just start there so we had charles leclerc for ferrari redeeming himself getting back up on the horse winning this one passing max verstappen not once not twice but three times and having a sticky throttle at the end of the race, managing to hang on, getting the the, the win. Max coming home third. Lewis getting a, a podium, second race in a row. George Russell fourth for Mercedes. Esteban Aka, I think that's a pretty good result for Esteban coming in P5. Mick Schumacher in the points once again in P6. Lando, P7. Kevin Magnussen, the second half, P8. Danny Ricardo P9 for, um, uh, I was going to say Mercedes, McLaren Mercedes. And then Fernando, despite starting way at the back of the grid, came home in the final points paying position for 10th in the Alpine. And then if you look at the driver's uh, standings, uh, the 2022 Formula One World Championship, Max Verstappen on top, 208 points. Uh, Charles Leclerc second with 170 points. Sergio Perez, 151 points. Checo not scoring any points uh, today. Carlos Sainz, 133 points. Carlos not scoring any points today. George Russell, 128 points. And then Lewis, 109 points for six in the World Championship. Then quickly on the constructor's side, <clears throat> pardon me, Red Bull, 359, Ferrari, 303. So maybe this thing isn't quite over yet. I mean, that's still a significant gap, but that can close, especially in the, the constructors. Mercedes, 237, uh, McLaren, 81, and Alpine, 81. So they, they're tied on points, but uh, fourth and fifth. McLaren uh, go fourth in the championship by virtue of better results. So having said that, that is the end result of the weekend. But let's dial it back to Friday because uh, this was a sprint weekend, one of uh, what Hammy likes to call one of the majors. So Friday we had uh, qualifying. So l- let's start there. Uh, we'll dial it all the way back in the notes. So what was uh, what was your uh, your take on Friday qualifying? Max, uh, he took pole. We saw what the bizarrest thing, Lewis going off and crashing on a part of a track that we don't typically see too many drivers have an incident. And then so we had a red flag, the session stopped. And then immediately as they started going, his teammate puts it into the tire barrier, turn 10 right into the beginning of the start finish straight there. <laughs> Both Mercedes failed to qualify or they didn't fail to qualify, but they fa- failed to finish Q3. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was bizarre and yet both Hasses qualifying both aston martins out again in q1 i could go on and on and on but you jump in here like let, let's hear your take on qualifying yeah i thought uh qualifying was was good i mean i think the thing with the the uh the sprint races being held on the saturday it kind of really jumbles things up right daily so yes. you know friday's friday's qualifying can at some points be um pretty unpredictable and it Look, it makes up, I think, for the sprint races because right, right now the sprint races just aren't exciting. They're not, not, not at the moment. And hoping that they begin to get exciting once we get a little more, I, I would say, convergence. Because at the end of the day, 20 laps, 23 laps, whatever it was, it's still not enough. It's not enough for, for, for these cars and the type of tires that they're actually running to get the uh, right amount of heat into the tire, but it also to get the right amount of degradation that I think Pirelli may want to have a spicy, uh, sprint race. So that being said, qualifying is always, is always pretty decent. And I honestly thought Charles Leclerc was going to be on pole, man. I don't know where Max Verstappen got the time (laughs) in that final sector, dude. Honestly, 
he was yellow in sectors one and two and somehow still managed to get pole position. I couldn't believe it. I honestly thought it was going to be Charles Leclerc for sure. Um, that for me was a very big surprise. Um, and yes, yes, Hamilton throwing it into the wall was a surprise as well because he doesn't normally crash. No, he, he just doesn't. doesn't. He just like, doesn't. he's a very clean driver, right? He 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 always brings the car back in one piece. He's a steady set of hands, uh, and same goes for George Russell as well. I mean, the only really big crash that I can remember from George was when he and Valtteri Bottas came together in Imola last season. Yeah. And outside of that, you know, I don't really remember George having any other massive crashes, not to say that the crash in Austria was massive, but you rarely see mistakes from George as well. And again, a good uh, steady set of hands, but uh, the other, the other surprise for me was Daniel Ricardo. Uh, that was disappointing, I think, for himself as well, hearing from him afterwards. You know, he just, he doesn't know what's going on here. Like, 16th fastest in qualifying is just not good enough. I mean, given the fact that Lando was P15, but if Lando doesn't have those brake issues and the issues that he had in free practice one, uh, honestly, Lando's going to qualify a lot higher than than P15 daily. Sure. Yeah, you know, I thought it was interesting, too, because at the end of uh, Q1 there, they put the, the, the radio comms up on the, the, the TV feed there. And you hear Danny Rick's uh, engineer say something like, OK, Daniel, that's P16 and just bring it back to the pits. And just the I don't even know how to describe the tone of voice he had. It was it was it was depressing. Like, yep. It was depressing. Yeah, he was just kind of like, "Yep, sad." It, I, I think I don't know. Like, I'm not going to put, like, not going to uh, tell everyone what Daniel Ricardo's mental state was, but uh, he he just didn't he he didn't uh, he didn't sound good. Like, it didn't no. sound like the regular Daniel Ricardo we all know. Um, yeah, he's definitely having some struggles with this car at the moment daily, um, and I think even Lando is somewhat surprised by it as well. Well, it's interesting, too, because I think uh, Andreas Seidel, team principal of McLaren, said that the team has to shoulder a little bit of responsibility for some of the issues that uh, Danny's having. But, you know, it's I don't know where the trade off is. I mean, you have like Zach about a month ago or six weeks ago saying that, you know, this it's been disappointing for us. It's been disappointing for him. Mm-hmm. And then it, it just hasn't lived up to anybody's expectations. And you hear Andreas saying these things and you can tell that Danny's frustrated and I mean, I mean, when you look at like his Q1 time, he uh, he records a 106.613. Lando's uh, Q1 time was a 106.330. Uh, so it's it's about it's about a quarter of a second. So it's it's not huge, but it's big enough. And it's just the mental thing. It's like, oh damn, you know, I'm slower than my teammate again. He just squeaks into Q2 by the skin of his teeth, and you know, I don't. It just mentally that just has to wear on you over and over and over and over again. But at the end of the day, I mean, it was a pretty decent result for them by the time it was all said and done. Uh, you know, they're they're both home in the points. Ricardo is in the ninth and then Lando's in seventh. Again, he's uh, behind his teammates, but at least he's in the points by the mm-hmm. time it's over. So I think yeah. you take something out of it. I think so. And the other surprise was uh, both Aston Martin cars being out in, in Q1 as well. 
good, you know, race pace. I mean, they, you know, Lance was good in um, the sprint race. He was solid in the Grand Prix as well. We'll get into that a little bit later. But I think for them still trying to figure out the the car itself, um, you know, Lance was had made mention that, you know, they're still they're still missing a lot of downforce with this car. Uh, same with mechanical grip as well. That's still a, a bit of an issue for them. But if they can get it all sorted, I, I really do think they have a decent car here. But I think it's just trying to get the mileage under the belt with it daily just so they can get comfortable. Because you have to remember, this is this is practically a brand new car. Well, right, well that's the honest. thing, right? It's, it, it's every time I see this car, it just says every time I have a little bit of hope that Aston Martin seemed to be putting it together, that there's flashes, that there's something with this car, mm-hmm. then it seems like they have a setback or two. And it just, to, to me, it just kind of says, this is a team that is still struggling to figure out what the problem is and, and how to work around it and, and to get a little bit more consistency. Because that that's what it is. This car is lacking consistency because I don't mm-hmm. think there's any question about that that Sebastian's a good uh, driver. I think that Lance has matured nicely as a driver. I know a lot of people tend to rip on him, which I think at times can be a little bit unfair. It's just um, it's it's just putting those pieces together in the right order and then get some consistency and like you say more importantly get some miles under their 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 belt because if this is in effect a, a brand new car, which it, it basically is when they introduce these upgrades, what was it about? A month ago, oh, they, six weeks ago, they had a they had a biggest. The, well, the biggest upgrade came to the car at the British Grand Prix, and that was you know that 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 was it, it really they had the biggest one in Barcelona, and then they had another big one in at the British Grand Prix, and then they brought some more bits and pieces to the car for this weekend as well. So it always seems to be they're bringing something new to the car, but at the end of the day, I mean, they still are, are like I said, you know, they're still just lacking downforce, lacking that mechanical grip. Um, Haas uh, looking really good. Really yes. good. No, And no upgrades for them. Not yet. Not until France. And that car is still competitive. So if these upgrades come to the car for France, I mean, and they don't work... <laughs> then they can just revert back to this car because it's a solid race car. Both K-Mag and Mick qualifying P6, P7 for that sprint race. Uh, really solid job by uh, by both. And same for Mick. I mean, you know, I think him scoring points last time out, that just shows you he's got that confidence, right? And that's one of the things that we always talk about with these drivers, Mark, is this, once you kind of get that confidence, once you kind of get that key results everything else just seems to really just fit into place well well totally i mean not only does he qualify well like uh, you mentioned but in the sprint race k-mag finishes seventh uh mick schumacher finishes uh, in ninth in the sprint race and by the time it's over again they're they're in the points i mean uh, <laughs> i think this is great i mean uh, msc p6 k-mag in in eighth i mean they went through a bit of a dry spell there over you know like the last several races 
And then it was funny today, like during the race itself, I mean, Lewis was just saying like the, I can't remember his exact words, but it was something to the effect of the straight line speed that these guys have is unbelievable because the longest, I mean, you get those two very long straight sections. We come in at turn one, that little flick, that little dog leg at turn two, and then that long run down between turns three and four. So, I mean, Lewis just, uh, you know, I guess that's something that really sort of speaks to, you know, what they have at the back of the car, that Ferrari power. Hours, uh, for, for real and also that the that the car that they put it into this has like you say it's a good car and it's good to see them putting it together and Mick you know I was starting to get a little bit worried about him because I, I mean obviously he has the Schumacher name I mean his dad seven-time world champion I mean his, like Ralph Schumacher was no pushover either I mean he won several Grand Prix in his career obviously no nowhere near as successful as brother but I mean he was no slouch in Formula One either I mean he was a decent driver so I mean there's a lot for Mick to, to live up to and it's just mm-hmm. great to see him scoring some points in the last couple of races yeah let's talk about that sprint race because you know sure. like I mentioned I honestly wasn't not a huge fan of these sprint races at the moment I'm ho- I'm hoping that uh we finally get some really exciting ones that kind of turn things around. Uh, you know, frankly, I don't think they're long enough, but I don't think they're using the right tire either. So Max Verstappen getting away, getting the victory. My biggest takeaway from this sprint race is that Charles Leclerc should have been the one winning this race. And Charles Leclerc, I think, could have won this race because I feel like he was the faster driver. It's just the uh, the fighting between him and Carlos Sainz off the hop that just puts this thing away quickly, right? Because once mm-hmm. you kind of break that DRS like Max did, then it's kind of already over because it takes you so much longer, so much energy to claw back into the deficit that you've just lost to your rival because of that. And so now you've kind of got to claw your way back into it. And you know what? I think if uh, Carlos doesn't doesn't fight Charles Leclerc off the off the top, I think Leclerc wins this. And this is where another conversation comes in to the point where, okay, when does the team start telling Carlos no towards things? And it was an interesting topic because it was brought up in the uh, one of our press conferences that uh, we were on. And the conversation based around like, okay, well, you know, when do you tell a driver uh, when they are going to be number one and the other one's going to be number two? And the team principals were like, well, you're damned if you do and you're you're damned if you don't, right? Like sure. Fans, yeah. <laughs> will, fans get mad at you if there's no racing between the two drivers. But then when you try to like rein the two drivers in then the fans get mad because there's no racing so (laughs) yeah i know right but it's kind of funny because it 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 seems that for whatever reason this is not new to ferrari this year i mean even dial it back for a a couple of years ago when it was sebastian exactly exactly I mean, uh, you would just think just by virtue of seniority that uh, Sebastian would be the, the 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 number one driver. I mean, that's the way it would have been in the old days. I mean, I guess that makes the case for, well, if you want to be number one, go out and, and prove me wrong. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess uh, Charles, by and large, did that uh, fairly quickly way back in, in 2019. But this is a little bit different now. It's not like the up and the, the upcomer against the, you know, the, the grizzled old vet. I mean, these are two guys of a similar kind of age and you know charles he doesn't have like 
20 or 30 Grand Prix under his belt. He hasn't won a world championship. That's not to say that he won't in his career. But I mean, just at least on paper, there there isn't a lot separating Charles and, and Carlos. I mean, Charles, you know, when you look at it on the track, I mean, he is a little bit faster, but I guess that you could make the argument, well, yeah, well, last week at Silverstone, Carlos was the better driver. But, you know, it's 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 how do you want to twist that story around? But I think, you know, that goes back to your original comments when you're the team principal. <laughs> it's like, where where do you jump in? And I don't know what it exactly is with Mattia Bonato and, and, and Ferrari if they, they, they want to or they just are, are they just kind of like letting these guys kind of like go at it and, and, and see letting them fight and kind of like establish that natural order or, you know, I mean, I, do I, I don't. Sorry. I I was what just, the, what, yeah, yeah, finish your thought. I was just going to say, I, I can't see this one going down the lines of like Hamilton and Rosberg, but who knows, right? Yeah, I don't see it going that far either. But uh, do you do you remember when uh, Barrichello moved over for Schumacher? Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Oh, yeah. Like, what was it? Like in 2003 or 2002 or whatever it was? Yeah, it was, yeah. It was one, of those, one of those years. Yeah. Matteo Bonato brought it up in one of the press conferences over the weekend. And he kind of just said, you know, like, he's like, I was there for that day. And all the fans were extremely upset and were booing and all this other yeah. kind of stuff because they were so upset that Rubens like moved over to let Michael buy to get the win uh, at this tr- at this very track. Yep, and yep. so, you know, I, the, the thing is, is that Matteo has Matteo has been through all this like he's seen it all. He's been a part of Ferrari forever, but he's also seen the number one driver and number two driver. and. I don't know if in his mind that's something that he doesn't agree with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it you know kind of makes mean? you wonder. Yeah, 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 totally. Because I think at heart, I mean, even though he's the team principal, he just strikes me as like an, an, an engineer. Like, I think he thinks in numbers and probabilities and mm-hmm. if then else and all these uh, different things. I mean, I mean, l- let's face it. I mean, on Sunday, Charles was driving like a man possessed. I mean, right mm-hmm. from the, the, the get go all the way through the race. I mean, it just looked like he had uh, something to prove. I mean, Carlos, I mean, right until his car let go on him right at the very end, you know, was it lap five or six from the end, whatever it was, lap 56, whatever it was. But uh, it was it, it, he, he was having a good afternoon as well. And I'm just kind of wondering. You know, in, in Matias' mind, is there some like I, I'm sure that there's some cutoff point where he will step in, but I think at the moment, I think he's kind of content to let them kind of sort it out. But certainly, when it comes to what Charles did on the track on Sunday, it maybe makes that sort of natural. 
I guess, determination, the mm-hmm. self-determination, whatever you want to call it, of the two drivers sorting it out. I think that Charles made a good good statement, regardless if uh, Carlos was going to finish that race or not. Yeah, you see, Christian Horner and Total Wolf, they'll make those calls, right? They'll make the calls where they say, all right, <laughs> Valtteri, you're number two. Lewis, you're number one. Right or or the, the, or driver, the famous wingman comment that he made yeah, in Russia exactly. a couple of years ago for <laughs> Valtteri. <laughs> but that's the thing, right? With those team principles, they'll let you know straight up. Where at Ferrari, we're still searching. We're still trying to figure out. All right, who's number one? Who's number two? Where this is already a, it should already be a given that Charles Leclerc is now number one. I would say if this were, I don't know, three races in and this is where we're at, then I I would say, yeah, all right, well, you know, season's early. And that's what it takes, I think, for that number one driver to really appear. It's who's going to take advantage and control first. And that's the thing about having teammates and being a teammate as well. It's you also need to understand that you have to jump out to a lead so that you're the one who's determining who gets the calls, who gets the parts, who gets this, who gets that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Charles Leclerc's done that. He's done a really great job. Like last season, you know, I felt that Carlos Sainz was the guy at Ferrari last season, and this season it's mm-hmm. it's Charles Leclerc, all right? And in this race itself, you know, he really uh, put his stamp on it. Um, if he hadn't have had the throttle pedal issues, like he had said that, he gave a percentage, but I don't think he was I don't think he was right on with the percentage because we asked him about it later and he still wasn't like he's like, oh, yeah, I'm not sure if it was 20 or 30 percent. It might not have been that high kind of thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that being said, he still had the throttle pedal stuck open daily and that's still impossible for a driver to really extract performance from the car. I mean, you're literally you're braking and still driving into a corner <laughs> at the same time. It's kind of a scary feeling. Um, but for him to still control the race and and to get the win, even though Max was coming there at the end. Um, yeah, it's great. I just, uh, I think that he would probably want some more points out of that championship because Max did get away pretty easy this weekend. Yeah, he did. Uh, There's no doubt about it. And you have to tip your hat to Charles Leclerc because I mean, that couldn't have been an easy five or six laps at the end. And if that, that issue had manifested five or six laps earlier, if it came out at maybe lap 60 or lap 55, then maybe we're talking about a completely different outcome to this race because I just got this real sinking feeling like after watching Carlos just on that straightaway between uh, turns three and four, just all of a sudden you saw that little puff of smoke come out the back mm-hmm. of the car. And then it's like, oh my goodness, here we go again. You know, the Tafosi are going to be lo- losing their mind. These are coasts off the track. And then, you know, a couple of laps later after the VSC is, is ending, and they go back to racing and then Charles is complaining about this. I'm like, yeah, they got a good car there, but it really mm-hmm. seems to be made out of glass. I mean, you look at Charles. I mean, he's got to, two DNFs this uh, season. Carlos has four now. <laughs> and it, it's so frustrating. I mean, if you go all the way back to Spain, Carlos, well, if you go back to Miami, he was on the podium there. He had a fourth in Spain, a second at Monaco that he retired in Azerbaijan, second in Canada, wins in uh, at, at Silverstone last weekend. And I mean, Charles, I mean, he's been up and down ever since he got that mm-hmm. uh, P2 at Miami. And then he had a couple of DNFs. 
and then he was in the top five a couple of times. So, so he really needed this race today. And I, I just, I just, I was really watching those last three or four laps. I really thought it was really intriguing because. Max, I think he had one real big push with about two laps to go, and it was just clear that Charles had the had the pace all all, all afternoon long. But I think Max saw a bit of weakness and and then just thought, well, if if anything's going to happen, I got to push now, or else it, it's not going to happen. I mean, I don't think he got closer than than maybe about a second or a second. I think it was about a second and a half or two seconds. Not not quite close enough. Not even close enough to to really try and put uh, a move on Charles, but. It just goes to show you like how good of a driver Charles is, is to deal with that, uh, that situation, manage the car and, and still be able to, to, to hold Max at, you know, at, at arm's length mm-hmm. through those last several laps of the race. eh? Yeah. I'm just not only, you know, dealing with that and, you know, dealing with all of the other things that he had coming into the weekend as well. Um, he'd let us know that, you know, Matteo Bonotto came to Monaco to have uh, dinner with him. And to try and smooth things over from the uh, the British Grand Prix, and then there was some reports coming out of uh, Italian press about how that his side of the garage, you know, didn't want to be in the team photo with Carlos Sainz uh, after the British Grand Prix, which turns out to be it was a false, uh, false, um, a false story. And on top of all that, Leclerc's issues you know, that he's had since the Australian Grand Prix. And I said something similar on SportsCenter, but I'll I'll say it again here. I mean, you know, what was DNF in Spain, right? You had the Monaco strategic Ferrari blunder that costed him a win there. And you had another DNF in Azerbaijan with an engine. And then you had Canadian Grand Prix engine change penalty started from the rear. And then you got to the British Grand Prix. And well, we all know what happened there. Strategic uh, Ferrari error, in my opinion, mm-hmm. uh, costed him another win. So this championship should be a hell of a lot closer than than what it is right now. And I think getting this win for him adds to the confidence. And you know how we talked about with Schumacher with the confidence? This was just a big win, and you could just see it. Like you see how he celebrated when he got out of the car. You could just yep. tell, even though even though it was only like uh, five points uh, that he was able to eat into Verstappen's lead, just getting this win here was important to them, and it was important to them as a team because I think it it, it tells us quite a few things. One, it tells us that They've got a really good car. The, the upgrades that they've brought are working. The upgrades that they brought are working, especially in the race, because I really feel that they had trouble with the race tire uh, and how the car used the race tire. If you just remember, even just the Miami Grand Prix, I mean, it was a disaster for that car in, in that race. Um, and so I think the car is going in the right direction. And I can see this championship start to become a little bit more track dependent. And, you know, even if Max gets one DNF and Charles gets, gets a win, I mean, it, daily it's game on man, game on. 
Oh, yeah, totally. And I think it was uh, pretty cool as well uh, just to not only to say or to react to, to the way that uh, he was uh, excited after winning that race, you know, seeing him when he got out of the car, hearing him on the radio. This was something that he needed. But you brought up a really good point there. And that was the fact that he only took a very small chunk out of Max's uh, lead. Max has um, 208 points. Charles has 170. And it was unfortunate because not only did Carlos deserve that P2, he was totally deserving uh, yeah. of that. And Ferrari mm-hmm. were totally deserving of the one to finish this afternoon. But not only does that uh, that uh, that engine failure ruin Carlos this afternoon, it also affects Charles because the points that uh, that Carlos was taking away from Max, Max got those back. Okay, it wasn't like he was going to take twenty or thirty points out of his lead, but you know e- every little bit uh, helps. And that uh, so I mean it's kind of a mixed result. I mean yes, it's a huge confidence booster to him after having this this horrible run of luck over the last half dozen racers or so to to. I mean, we still got a couple of races to go here before we hit the summer break in a couple of weeks' time. But finally, things are going in the right direction. Okay, it didn't work out for him last week at at Silverstone for you know for for reasons we've talked to mm-hmm. talked about quite a bit. But his teammate <laughs> won. He, I, I mean, he can probably take some solace away from the fact knowing that. The result that he had in in Great Britain wasn't down to himself. It was a team called. I think we we can agree they blew the call on the pit wall, and it is what it is. So he should have probably finished better than where he did. But he he was he was amazing today. I think that he mm-hmm. has to take a lot away from that. He didn't put a wheel wrong. I mean, the fact that he passed Max three times is, is a real testament. And and mm-hmm. the first one I think was the most impressive one because. I think he really caught Max fast asleep at the wheel going into turn four there because Max left the, the the door completely wide open. And Charles, I mean, he was close, but I mean, he really left the braking late. And it, it was a... Uh, it was a great move. I mean, Max, you know, fair play to him. He didn't slam the door and, and, you know, maybe as maybe Michael Schumacher might've done in the years gone by really turned in <laughs> like quite aggressively. I mean, it, it was, it was well played by both of them, but I mean, that was, that was a really, really opportunistic uh, move from Charles Leclerc. And if you want to, be a race winner and ultimately a champion, those are the kind of moves you're going to have to take. Nobody was going to give him that lead. He went and snatched away from Max and he did it two more times before the race was over. I thought it was impressive. Uh, frustration down at uh, Ferrari, just for Carlos Sainz, obviously. Um, like you had mentioned, drove extremely well, was in line for that P2 for sure. And, uh, you know, reliability on the Ferrari strikes again and i think moving forward that's going to be a key conversation when it comes to ferrari i think there's going to be two of them and it has nothing to do with the performance of the car i think it has everything to do with the reliability of the car and i think it has everything to do with the strategic calls coming from behind pit wall Mm -hmm. and that's what i think is going to be the difference in this championship moving forward from from this point out because ferrari has a very quick car but the reliability is just not there. I mean, like you said, science with four DNFs this season. I mean, two of them, I think, two, you know, two of them weren't mechanical, right? That was Australia where he flew off the track and Imola again, where he went off track and got stuck in the gravel. So that being said, I mean, this is, this is still a question mark. The reliability daily, still the question mark. 
Oh, 100%, 100%, because, you know, I go back to, like, last year. Ferrari, I think, for me, they had a really good season. They did it quite quietly. Nobody expected them to challenge for races or for championships or anything like that. But they put the nightmare of 2020 behind them and maybe even that last quarter of a season from 2019 before, you know, that shady investigation and everything that they had uh, after the year was over. But last year, they, they quietly put together a really good year. Carlos Sainz, for me, was the unsung hero of 2021. I don't think he really got a lot of um, respect mm, initially, yeah. at that, that is. Yeah. For all the guys that changed teams last year, he quietly put together a very, very good year. When yeah. when we sat down at the end of the year, we, we reflected back on what was the 2021 Formula One World Championship. I was quietly confident that if you're a Ferrari fan or if you're Ferrari yourself, you could take a lot away from 2021 because when they introduced those upgrades, I think it was in Russia last year, that really sort of set up a really good, solid, consistent finish to that to the end of that uh, that, that season. And I think there, there was a lot of hope and expectation that they would bring it forward to, in, into this year. Mm-hmm. And I think we were all really surprised the way that things went the, the first couple of uh races of the year in Bahrain, in Saudi, in Australia. It's like, okay, Ferrari are back and they're back big time. And ever since Australia, you know, it's, it's been a bit of a struggle. I mean, obviously we saw that, uh, you know, Max retired in Australia. He also retired at Bahrain so that, you know, Red Bull were de- dealing with some of their own problems. But, and and th- this is nothing new, this reliability thing, because you and I and Hammy, we talked about this probably even a month ago that, you know, they got this Frankenstein of a car going on with all the different parts that they're pulling out and different components they're having to uh, to, to replace. And, and ultimately, that's going to uh, really affect any kind of uh, challenge that Charles is ultimately going to make in, in the championship this year, because... At some point, you just have to expect he's going to be taking penalties just because that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, science not the only one with frustration on Sunday. Sergio Perez obviously making contact with George Russell and them just deciding to end Perez's race, bring it in, just save some mileage on that engine just because he wasn't getting any performance out of the car because the damage done to it. Um. This is actually an interesting topic that I wanted to bring up because it has a lot to do with the race directorship off track. So Mm -hmm. there's been a lot going on behind the scenes that maybe not a lot of people really know about when it comes to the race directorship. So if we go back to when Michael Massey used to run the show and then obviously he loses his job and they bring in Niels Vidic and Eduardo Freitas to be the two race directors. So instead of having one race director, now all of a sudden formula one has two, two separate ones who do it at different times throughout the season. The problem with all of this and that the drivers have uh, is the inconsistency of the calls on track who gets a penalty? Why are they getting a penalty? How hard can they race? So if we look at like North American sports, so you have your NBA, NHL, NFL, you know, you have referees and referees differ from game to game. Sure. Inside all of that, the players get an understanding of how they can play, right? Who the referees are. And usually in the first quarter or first period, 
the players will understand, okay, I can push the boundaries here. I can't over here because they're going to call something here and they're going to do something over here. So I can't, I can't do that. With racing, you don't have those opportunities. As soon as you've done something, you'd be penalized for, you're penalized. And as soon as you're penalized, your race is pretty much over, right? You're either getting a five-second time penalty, you're getting a stop and go, a 10-second, whatever. And it's pretty much over. So you can't really push those boundaries on track and also with the race directors because you just don't know where it is. Lewis Hamilton made mention of it to us on Thursday when we sat down with him um, for his uh, media press conference interview. And he just said, you know, Hey, look, there's too much gray area. It's not black and white, way too much gray area. Then Friday night, Sebastian Vettel has a blowout at the driver's meeting. And a big part of him being so upset. And from my understanding is because of what went down at the British Grand Prix in terms of, the on-track passing, drivers leaving the track, gaining an advantage, and nothing really being done about it. And so Vettel stood up, leaves, right? Leaves the thing. Later, he comes back, and uh, he eventually apologizes, and that's why um, the stewards gave him a suspended 25,000 euro fine. But when Sebastian Vettel, who is basically the, the, you know, he's one of the heads of your GPDA, Right, Mark? Like when you mm-hmm. have a driver like that, and I think for the most part, Seb's pretty cool, calm, and collected, losing his stuff, marching out of a driver's meeting, which you can't leave, by the way, marching out of it, you know something is just not right, and the drivers want some action taken. So I'm going to be very interested to see moving forward what the FIA decides to do in terms of the race directorship. Are they going to have one? Are they going to have two? How are they going to handle all that? And when we look at the race today, the consistency was, for me, the consistency was was there, right? Yeah. Every driver got a certain number of warnings for going off or for going off track before they got five-second time penalty. Both George Russell and... Pierre Gasly got five second time penalties for the exact same move. So it's clear as day. And so I think this is an interesting conversation in terms of what's going to happen with, with the race directors. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armor All, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Yeah, totally, because dial it back to this time last year for the, well, we had two races at the Red Bull Ring last year with the Styrian Grand Prix and the Austrian Grand Prix. And I can't remember, I think it was, was it after the the second one? Um, there was a lot of debate because of just the inconsistent application of the of, of the track limits. So I could exactly. see why, like, 
I, I don't know what it would have taken Sebastian Vettel to blow up the way that he did because I totally agree with you that uh, that that Seb seems like one of these guys that he seems to have like a pretty level head on his shoulders and it seems like it would take a lot to really get him to explode like that and get uh, re- really upset. But today during the race, it was it was pretty clear right from the beginning that it was track limits, track limits. You know, this is your second warning. Next one's going to be a black and white flag, and then like you say. You know, a couple of guys were were hit with the time penalties, but I th- I thought it was good because last year I thought that it really left uh, an impression that it made Formula One look a little bush league because it, w- it was really inconsistent the way that they were calling that track limits because it it's either you know you're either within the two white lines on the edge of the track or you're not. And if you're going to call one instance of it, you should be calling all of them. It's not some sort of arbitrary decision. It either is or it isn't. So, mm-hmm. but more to your point, the fact that they have the two race directors now, it's just like, where's the, the inconsistency coming from? Is it the fact that one of them is a little bit more by the book and is the, the other one that, you know, the term is, well, he's going to let them play. You know, that's mm-hmm. the one phrase that you'll hear when in a basketball game or a football game, hockey game whatever is it um and you know don't get me wrong i don't think it's it, it's a bad thing to have uh, a couple of different uh, people involved i think there's maybe a little bit more accountability not that i i know that uh, that massey obviously became this very polarizing and controversial figure because of what happened at yasparito at the abu dhabi grand prix back in last december uh but yeah, I, I don't know. It's just I, I I think that the more people you have involved, I think I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. It's just there has to be some sort of minimum standard. It's just like one guy can't be wildly calling it one way or the other. It's either, you know, you have this minimum standard or you don't. It's just like, oh, we know that uh oh it's Mr. X is showing up this week. Mm-hmm. So we know that we could be pushing track limits or whatever it might be because they, they, they were, they were checking everything. The, the one thing that I saw that at the end of the race, I've never seen in all my years watching formula one was the stewards had noticed, um, that, that uh, Pierre's five second, um, time penalty that there was uh, potentially in, in an infringement, which to me as well, did he take off off after 4.8 seconds or whatever it was? Ultimately, I think they, they looked into it. It was okay, but I'd never seen anything like that before. I mean, every time I've seen a driver get a time penalty, he goes in and that's, you know, serves his penalty and that that's it. So I don't know what you made about that, but that I thought was very, very interesting. Yeah, and then also with the um, the physio trainers at uh, in, in Park for May, which which caused um, the top yes. three to be pulled into uh, the stewards' office. So the, the FIA had kind of warned the drivers about this, saying that they didn't really appreciate uh, the drivers' trainers getting into Park for May and getting to the drivers before they go and get weighed. Um, they, they did not like that whatsoever. And they had, uh, specifically told them not to do it and they did it anyways. And then they all got pulled in and then they got a suspended, uh, $10,000 euro fine, uh, all three of them. So Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc and Lewis Hamilton, the FIA this weekend was on it. I would say in terms of like handing out the handing out the penalties, or keeping you apprised of, of uh, what's going on. Like I've never had, so the FIA sends, the FIA sends us um, documentation on, Hey, this is who we're bringing into the stewards. This is why we're bringing into the stewards. This is the breach. 
alleged breach. This is the the sporting code regulation. This is the number. If you want to go look it up, here it is. And they kind of explain it all to you so you can uh, kind of get it out to the public and explain it to them what's going on. I've never had so many of those emails come into my <laughs> inbox ever. There was so many of them, dude. I was just like rifling through them. I'm like, oh my God, like there's so many in here. Like uh, I'd wake up some mornings at 6 a.m. and be like, oh my God, nothing's even started yet. What's, <laughs> what is going on here? Like looking through them, like, but this guy changed this. This guy started for pit lane because of this. This is this. this da, 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 da. I'm just like, oh my God, five second time penalty here, 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 here. I've never gotten so many of those things ever. It was yeah. wild. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm not for overregulation of the sport by any mean. Like I, I don't want it to be so strict that anybody's afraid to go out there and, and do anything because they they they're gonna you know be afraid that the incident will be noted or investigated mm-hmm. or they're gonna get slapped with something. That's obviously not a bad thing as well. But on the flip side, to, you know, to borrow that old phrase, you don't want the inmates taking over the asylum either. I mean, we we want to see good hard racing, but at, at the end of the day, we don't want to see like you know, inconsistent application of the, the, the rules and the regulations. They're there for a reason as well. Yeah. And yeah, the thing yeah. is, is like, if we get, if we take a look at like, you know, I'm okay with the racing that went down at the British Grand Prix. Sure. I, I'm okay. I'm okay with that. Like that to me, that was, you know, was on the limit, but it was good, hard stuff. Even the stuff from Max. I mean, that's who he is, right? He's a, he's a hard racing driver and that's just his style. And it's just the way it is. Look, I raced against guys that were, did worse things on the track. Uh, trust me. So uh, I, I'm okay with it, right? I, I am okay with it. it. But in Austria, it's a little different because the track is so different. Like if mm-hmm. we go back to like 2019, and I don't know if you remember, but it was, it was either two laps from the end. It was a battle between Verstappen and Leclerc for the lead. And Verstappen, I don't want to say forced Leclerc off, but did bump him, right? And that wasn't that wasn't a penalty. That didn't turn out being Max didn't get penalized for that. He went on to win the race. But at this particular track, there are so many different instances where you could call a penalty because of the way of the track's nature and the way it's designed. I mean, George doesn't George doesn't want to run into Sergio Perez, but the way that that section of track is one it's inviting for another driver to go around the outside two it's it's tough for the driver who's trying to stick to the racing line but wants to fend off the guy who's trying to go around him so you carry just a tiny bit more speed and you get that understeer and it's game over you can't correct it you can't come back from it. there's nothing you can do you're a passenger and the same thing happened with Pierre Gasly. So that's what I mean by how this track is difficult when it comes to the the, the just the racing um, I'll be interested to see how things things go as we get further into the season, though. Daily, it'll be mm-hmm. it, it, it'll be extremely interesting how things get get policed. Um, Lewis Hamilton, nice drive, yeah, solid. Back on the podium again. I mean, after what's been a bit of a a tough season for Lewis, he gets on the podium two weeks in a row. I think uh, that that that's good for him, you know, because I think people may have been starting to ask some questions about Lewis, you know, because not only was he not getting the results, I mean, he was. <clears throat> 
excuse me, he was not getting the, the results at the uh, the expense of his teammate, but also he was being outqualified by his uh, by his teammate. So it's good to see. I mean, the the, the incident on qual you know and qualifying notwithstanding, I mean, it was a solid drive uh, from from Lewis, and I just kind of get the feeling that there seems to be a little bit more fire in him in the last two or three weeks. It just seemed that. I, I don't know if like Lewis is the kind of dude to really gets exasperated or really gets frustrated out in, in public. I I don't think that Lewis is ever going to be kind of like a Fernando Alonso kind of guy who will like literally throw everybody under the bus. Lewis just isn't that kind of guy. I mean, he thanked uh, the, the team uh, today for, for the work they did and rebuilding the car and, and all that good stuff. Right. And it, it's good to see that he, you know, it's starting to come back around for him because it makes the championship a little bit more interesting. And, you know, as Hammy's been saying that, you know, he's got no real, he's not really concerned with the, you know, he's got no dog in the fight when it comes to like Max winning. He just wants to see somebody else challenge him a little bit because I, I think I made the, the, the comment on our last podcast episode, something to the fact is I think that's why I said that I hope that Lewis comes out, wins this one because, and I said, I was, I was aware of the irony of uh, saying that I hope to see Lewis win this one because Max has been running away with the championship the last month or two when that's exactly what Lewis has done since 20, 2014. Yeah. But still, I mean, it was, it was a good drive from him and uh, Mercedes I think uh, by and large they gave him the car today I think that they were pretty good in their their strategies I thought it was a bit of a gutsy call that they ran him longer at the at the beginning of the race too yeah absolutely and one of the things for them is just how how much damage was done to his car following qualifying like there was a lot they even changed out the uh the survival cell of it I mean they were bondoing pieces of the car back together just because they're running low on parts. Like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> I mean, that's absolutely incredible. But the thing with Lewis is, and lately I've noticed it is that now that he's after, after his third place in Canada, speaking with him then, and then speaking with him again, uh, this past Thursday and comparing that with how he was towards the beginning of the season, you know, there's a huge difference here. And I think, I think it comes from knowing that you're getting close and knowing that the car that you have is going to be able to keep up and is going to be able uh, to battle for podiums and maybe even potentially race wins as you get later on into the season. And I think for Lewis, that's kind of like that. Uh, what's, what's the expression I'm looking for? You know, when you, uh, you dangle a carrot in front of somebody and you're, you know, you're chasing after it. Right. And it's kind of like, I think for, I think for Lewis, it's kind of like, I'm going to get that win and I can see mm -hmm. it and it's right there in front of me and we're going in the right direction. And for me, I, I like seeing that the guy is like gr one of the greatest drivers ever. In Formula One, uh, statistically, obviously, he's, he's, oh, he's the off best. the charts. Yeah, yeah. But that being said, it's times like these where you really see, you know, that championship sort of mentality uh, and the winning nature behind the driver and what they're willing to do or what they're going to do to get back to the front. And uh, I, I really, I've really enjoyed his his story this season. I really have because uh, you see that, like you see how hard he's he's been working. You see that the team and and how 
just how unified they still are, even though they've had some pretty brutal races daily. But like to see oh, them totally. still stick together and get to where they're going. Um, we have to remember this is a team sport. And uh, yeah, it's just yeah, I, I've been really I've really enjoyed it. And I think that for this team moving forward, once we get to France, uh, hey, look out, man. I think they're going to have a chance at winning that one. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, too. I completely uh, spaced there. He did get the podium, like you correctly pointed out, in Montreal. But moreover, that's five podiums now in the last six races for both mm. uh, George and Lewis. George has had uh, two P3s at Spain and Azerbaijan. And then Lewis, he's been a P3 the last uh, three races. And, you know, more to your point that, you know, that they've been through some pretty tough times to start this year, but they're they're still holding it together, still, still mm-hmm. focused. Man, that must be a pretty great place to work. You know, like, um, obviously, there's a lot of pressure to work for a Formula One team, but I'm putting my resume there in tomorrow because they're still focused <laughs> and still working at it. But, you know, I mean, that's the thing that, and I, I've made that point for years that it, it doesn't matter if this was their first championship or it was number two, three, four, five, whatever it was. It seemed that they always genuinely seemed excited to win a race it didn't matter if it was lewis it didn't matter if it was nico it didn't matter if it was Valtteri. they always seemed really stoked and excited that they that they won a race but they, they haven't like you said they haven't won it yet this year but who knows we've got two more races uh, before the, the 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 we get to the break here hungary's a bit of a lottery because it's like monaco i mean the guy that can kind of get out front has a bit of a good chance to 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 win that one if you got some good tactics but france coming up here is going to be pretty interesting i think mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, George Russell obviously having a different rear wing on the back of his car for this race uh, weekend. It was uh, put on there because of the the rear wing that he had damaged in qualifying. So for George, just lacking a lot of that straight line straight line speed uh, had a had a had a car that had a really draggy car. So that you know that's not great uh, for him in this race, but. Still a solid job from Russell, man, just to get up to P4 as well in a car mm-hmm. that's not really, you know, it's got kind of Frankenstein parts on it. You know, <laughs> things are like Bondo together. And it's just like a really great job from both of these drivers. I, I'll i say it again. I've said it a ton on this podcast, but hands down, I think Mercedes has the best driver lineup uh, on the grid. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that uh, that Red Bull's got a pretty good lineup with uh, Max and Checo, obviously, and then also Ferrari's got a good uh, pairing. But I mean, Lewis Hamilton and George. I mean, George like impressed me so much what he was able to do at Williams, and obviously that wasn't a great car, but he was able to regularly take that out of Q one when he he shouldn't have, and then um, obviously that time when he filled in for Lewis in uh, at Sakir a couple of years ago. I mean, that was impressive. I mean, he came in, obviously, as a Mercedes reserve driver. But that, I mean, he should have gotten, he should have been on the podium that uh, that, that day. I mean, he that was just impressive. And I just had a feeling that that was just not going to be a flash in the pan. And not to say anything disrespectful about Williams, but I was just like, got to get this guy in a good car. I want to see what this mm. guy can do in a good car. And I think that we've seen some pretty impressive things 
from George Russell this year? Because like you say, this hasn't been an easy car for them to figure out, hasn't always been an easy car for them to drive. But if you look at the way that they've they've quietly cobbled together some points, I mean, it's humble by their own very, very high standards. I think that they've got a lot to be maybe not satisfied with, but I think they can take some consolation and a bit of pride that, okay, this is what we've done so far. It hasn't been easy, but look what we've had to work with. And this is what our drivers have done. So I got to tip my hat to them to a, to a certain extent. Um, couple of things here, Tim, before we get to the, uh, the tweets and the messages, though, the one thing that I think was a bit of a scary moment, obviously right at the end was when, um, when Carlos's uh, engine, went there on uh, lap 58 big well it wasn't even a big puff of smoke but just uh, at the end of the straight there slowed down all of a sudden a little whiff of smoke of anything else he pulled off uh, to the to the left hand side of that gravel trap at um at turn four went up a bit of a, a hill there but the scary yeah. thing was that when he tried to park it the car started rolling back and you could see like the flames starting to lick out those little louvers on the on the side of the car and the marshals took a while to get there to put that one away and i started to get worried because you saw those uh, flames come out and all of a sudden they cut to the pit feed you know all of a sudden it's like oh crap what's going on there because we were watching it and you see like the you see like this one car pull up and you see this one marshal he runs about five steps he takes like the fire extinguisher he puts it down in the, on the, like the, the edge of the road then runs away i'm like dude, you got to get that thing another 20 yards over to where that Ferrari is because that thing's starting to go <laughs> was, up in a big way and oh, Carlos man. is still trying to get out of it, man. That that could have been that could have been a lot scarier than it was. Well, the thing is, is that for, for Carlos where he had put the car, right? I mean, if he, if he gets out and doesn't have something under those wheels stopping the car, I mean, he's going to roll right back out onto the track with a yeah. car that's like a flaming ball. Like what... I mean, for him, like, yeah, it, and I think that's probably something that the FIA will take a look into of, of what took the marshals so long to get that fire out because it, it wasn't like that Carlos wasn't somewhere where there weren't marshals or there were marshals where he was. So that's definitely something that I think should be looked at for sure um, because Carlos hung around in that car, man, while those flames were going off for a while. Like just mm-hmm. waiting for the marshals to get there, just to stuff something underneath the front tire. Yeah, and I don't want to be too critical because I know a lot of that these marshals are volunteers and Absolutely. you know and and stuff, and they they do well, some great work. We couldn't go racing work. without them. We couldn't well, go they, couldn't go racing without them. Yeah, Tim, one hundred percent, totally agree with you. Now, this next uh, piece of news is something I really wish we didn't have to talk about, but we should because it's very important, and it's regarding some behavior and comments that were made by what I hope is a very small amount of people at the Red Bull Ring over the uh, the past couple of days. Don't want to call them fans because I'm sure 99.9999% of uh, Formula One fans would not uh, condone or approve of uh, the things that were said and done. And it's regarding racist and homophobic and other sorts of really horrible behavior and comments that uh, they came from certain people in the stands. But as, as horrible and disappointing as that is to hear in this day and age, I do find encouraging that it was immediately condemned by many, many big names in Formula One who stood up right away and said, look, there's no place for that in our sports. You know, this needs to stop. This just is not on for any reason at any time for, for any reason. And this included people like Total Wolf and Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc, among others. 
And I really do find that uh, at least promising. I, I really hope that they can do something about it. I don't know how you can when you have tens and hundreds of thousands of people there. But I hope the people that they can they, they can track them down and take some sort of uh, action against them. Because the things that were supposedly said and done, it was homophobic, it was racist, all sorts of those really unpleasant yeah, sorts of... Yeah, misogynistic, hom- yeah. homophobic slurs as well, racist slurs as well on top of that. I mean, the list like goes on here with this story. But I think at the end of the day, I mean, Formula One has to do like an investigation into this to see how they can... Um, protect fans better. I mean, at the end of the day, like, um, you know, it's difficult to police for sure. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you have to find a way because a Grand Prix is, you know, you're supposed to be there to have fun and to have a good time and enjoy the race. And, you know, you don't have to, people shouldn't have to put up with this. I mean, what happened here, what happened here in Austria is absolutely disgusting. And yeah. seeing some of these stories and hearing some of these stories is absolutely disgusting. And, uh, you know, hearing from, from Total Wolf um, following the race, he was had said, you know, telling these folks to F off, basically, who the small demographic he said is just to stay home. Don't bother yep. coming to the races. So um, I think, you know, for Lewis and, and you know, Lewis had said it, uh, Lewis had said it best, you know, like it's time for, it's time for action. You know what? He's right. You know, it's, it it is time that, uh, that, you know, they start really doing something about this. So if they can find the, the individuals who are involved, ban them from motorsports for life. That's it. Long time ban. See you later. Go home. We don't want your money. Have fun. Yeah. And so I, I think that that needs to be done. I know it might be difficult to find these individuals, but at the end of the day, I just really hope that F1 really does do something about this because yeah, these stories were, these stories were absolutely, uh, absolutely horrible. Um, yeah, totally. And And I I was just going to say, you know, um, some of the individuals who were involved, uh, the teams, a few of the teams went out and found them and mm-hmm. gave them VIP paddock passes. And oh, wow. Yeah, Mercedes invited them into the garage to to watch the race. Um, Aston Martin did as well, um, so the, the ones that they could find for sure. So, yeah, it's a, it's a very unsettling story. And I, stuff like this, it just really just gets my blood boiling, man. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, not only just to, for, for that, I mean, all those horrible things. I mean, you listed off even more that I didn't even get to. It just goes to show how bad it was. But I mean, not only, I mean, it's supposed to be an inclusive environment. And also, I kind of think, well, you know, it should also be like a, an environment that you should feel comfortable taking your kids mm-hmm. to. Because I mean, you know, if yeah. you go to take your kids to a game oh, that... 100%. That, like- uh, you know that there's going to be somebody at some point is going to get frustrated and somebody might drop an F-bomb. And, you know, this is kind of like, well, okay, that's not really the greatest thing I want my my seven-year-old to hear. But, you know, going to school, they probably hear a lot worse at some point anyways. But this is above and beyond that. And I, I was glad to see, like, such a strong reaction from from the drivers and some of, like, the execs, like, total come out and, and condemn it right away. And, to, you know, to this, you know, the, this We Race is one uh, thing that they've had going for the last couple of years. This would be the, the perfect uh, way to sort of stand up. And but like you say, it might be tough to find out uh, who did it. And but th- that doesn't mean they shouldn't try. Right. hundred percent. 
Yeah. Okay. I do want to finish on a uh, one uh, one here that uh, I don't. I didn't uh, mean to uh, forget about it, but um, just going back to Mick Schumacher, he was a voted driver of the day on Sunday, and by a large margin, twenty four and a half percent. Charles, who won the race, was uh, only got fifteen and a half percent of the vote. Lewis got ten percent. Max got nine and a half percent. Carlos got eight. So, I mean, Mick really walked away from it. And I love a bit of the fire. I mean, I think that this is a like a nice little accolade for him to take away, plus, you know, points in the past couple of races. But I love a little bit of the fire that he had in his belly this weekend, too, because he was pretty critical of the team there after the sprint race, saying that they should have moved K-Mag out of the way because by letting, you know, keeping him in front of himself, that really compromised his own uh, time on the track, his own sprint race on Saturday afternoon. So I kind of like this. I, I like the fire that I saw from, from Mick Schumacher and, you know, what, what we were talking about a little bit uh, earlier, hopefully get, getting these points uh, over the past couple of races and good qualifying as well, that uh, that this is a real, a real step up and a real encouraging point in his career. Yeah, he's finally really starting to find his feet here at this team and starting to keep pace with with K-Mag, which is difficult to do because Magnuson's a really great driver. But at the end of the day, yep. I mean, he's doing at this moment, he's doing everything that he should be doing and that is expected of him. And I think, you know, you got to keep this going. Like if you're Schumacher, you got to keep this going. You can't you can't sit back, right? You can't sit back. You're going to have upgrades coming in France. So that's going to be another round of new car to learn. And you got to mm-hmm. get on top of that fast. And the thing with Mick is sometimes he takes a little bit longer to kind of get up to speed with uh, big upgrades or new cars or new equipment. So for him, there's another big change coming and he's going to have to jump on top of it. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's impressive. 24% for Mick for driver of the day. Wow. Yeah. I mean, wow. I thought like Lewis would have gotten that one because like, Hamilton was, yeah. Hamilton was awesome too. I mean, like, yeah, I was surprising when I saw that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, if Lewis won driver of the day today, I don't think anybody would have uh, raised an eyebrow at that because like you say, I mean, Lewis yeah. had a great drive on Sunday afternoon, but I mean, good for Mick. I mean, I think that should be a nice little confidence uh, booster for him. So let's uh, open up the uh, the mailbag here. I know that you've been collecting tweets all afternoon. Why don't we uh, go? <laughs> How many of these? Well, I've- I was just we so wondering. That, okay, how many couple. of them are got, not from Hamilton? Because you know he wasn't able to to do the uh, the, the show tonight. So I'm just wondering <laughs> how many of the tweets that we have are from Mark Hamilton. But I guess we'll find out. <laughs> uh, there, there is a, a question here from Ernest T. Uh, I'm not quite sure how much we can answer it, but the question is: Why has the FIA allowed Red Bull to continue to race cars with illegal floors? Yeah, that's that's an interesting one because we talked about a little bit on Thursday night just uh, because, you know, they have like this, what was a two millimeter deflection point? And yes. then I guess what is it? The Red Bull is alleged to sort of uh, what, what is the flex six. up to six mil or something like that. I yes. mean, it, it, you know, and, and millimeters is, you know, six millimeters is not a mm. lot. But I mean, still, it's, yeah, it's for more than double out of it's quite a bit for a race car. Right. But I mean, yeah. it's outside what it's uh, supposed to be. But. I, I don't know. There hasn't been really any news kind of percolating out, but I mean, I guess. Not much yet. I, I yeah. think yes. this is just yeah. what I think. So, uh, and you know, take it for whatever it's worth, uh, Ernest, is that I, th- I think it's just a lot of it's due to not having enough sensors in certain areas of the actual race car I- itself. Um, 
I believe, you know, the FIA does do the best that they can to police all of the cars. Uh, I usually get like a scrutineering um, rundown from the FIA following all races. And there's a lot of stuff on there that they check. There is a ton. I can't even go through all of it. There's so much that Joe Bauer has to go through. That being said, um, moving on, we're definitely going to hear more about this. And it's not just, you know, Red Bull, right? Like everyone's pointing the finger just at Red Bull. There, there could be other cars as well that are still doing it as well. And it's just, it's one of those things that happens in Formula One. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Sean Huggins. I'm having a hard time with Alpha Tauri and particularly Pierre Gasly's form this season. The team seemed to be going on the upward trajectory the last couple of seasons, only to drop off this year. And Pierre is looking very mediocre at the moment. Well, yeah, I, I don't a, really have too so much, much a question. To, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I can't really uh, disagree with him uh, too much. I mean, that I, I think that last year, I think that uh, Pierre had a, had a pretty good season. He seemed to be putting yeah, that car in 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 places and inserting himself into conversations and uh, and situations on the track that he probably shouldn't have. And th- this year, he's he's been. Yeah, it's been disappointing. Hasn't I mean, been that, like, he hasn't been totally, totally like crap, right? Like, no. we can't. I I understand how like fans get can get upset about certain drivers not doing well, and then all of a sudden, well, they don't belong there, and all this other kind yeah. of stuff. But it's like at the end of the day, like you know, we gotta you gotta pull it back a minute and take a look at things as a as a whole, right? Because he actually his season hasn't been like you know, horrible retirement in Bahrain. That wasn't his fault. Scored points, Saudi Arabia scored points in Australia, had a 12th in uh, Imola retired in Miami, uh, 13th in Spain, 11th in Monaco. He should have been higher there. Fifth in Azerbaijan. And then ever since Canada, it hasn't been great for him. Mm -hmm. Something is just not, clicking for him and that car just at the moment. And there are other points where like he's all, he's kind of been there in quality and it just something happens to him. So, you know, I, I think for Pierre, I think he'll get it smoothed out. He's got enough experience. He knows how to get through these difficult times. Um, but yes, I mean, I can understand over the past few races being a bit, you know, uh, 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 frustrated with, with Pierre Gasly from uh, Connie Stewart. And thanks for your question, Sean. Appreciate it. Um, Connie Stewart says, do we know what made Vettel so mad? And great racing on tracks last two races. So should there be a limit on the number of street races each year? Oh, that's a great question. That, that Amy, is a good question. Um, well, uh, just to, I, I don't know exactly like which instance of like Vettel getting mad because I think there was a you know a couple of them <laughs> over the course of the weekend. I mean, I think that. Uh, well, I don't know if he really got mad like uh, over the radio when uh, when Pierre punted him off the track. It was something no. like, "Well, don't these people know how to drive?" Or something. <laughs> <laughs> that that was always like exasperated frustration. But the I, th- I think maybe Connie's talking more about like the uh, the, the the drivers uh, meeting. But I mean, just in general, I mean, like 
Seb is a pretty chill kind of guy, but we've seen at times in the past that he tends to see red a little bit out of nowhere. I mean, go back to Azerbaijan, what was it, 2017 behind the safety car? Remember when he oh, thought yeah. that Lewis brake tested him and Lewis didn't yeah. brake test him and he pulled up alongside of him? slammed his car into the side of the, uh, the the Mercedes and Lewis was like, what the hell is going on here? Like, everybody watching. <laughs> yeah, that everybody else is going, what the hell is he doing? So, I mean, he does every once in a while just kind of like blow a gasket uh, for, for, for whatever reason. But, you know, um, we did kind of answer that a little bit uh, to a certain extent. So was there anything that you wanted to add to, to, to that? No, I think uh, just for, just for Sabbath, it, it's, it's all about those, those uh, gray areas with the race directors that's mm-hmm. kind of got him particularly, you know, <clears throat> peeved, I guess you would say. But <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, uh, it is a little strange to see him go like that for sure. But yes, obviously, I mean, upset about how things are being run with two different race directors and kind of sounds like the, the GPDA will be calling for just one moving forward. But I mean, we'll see. Thanks very much uh, for the question, Connie. From Double Waved Yellow, not a question, okay? Just a comment. When will F1 realize letting the sprint result determine the race starting order was a bad idea and ruins the sprint as no one wants to risk starting the main race at the back, set the sprint race grid based on q1 times why would you want to set the based on i i kind of see i kind of see what you're saying but would it really have changed all that much because it like it really wouldn't have been that big of a change yeah, I, th- I think more to the point is that you know that the, that I think after a year and a bit of the, like the the sprint race experiment, I think that it kind of adds something, just not like a lot. It's not really super exciting. It maybe is for a couple of laps, and you know, like I was really kind of hoping that when it came down to it, that it would be kind of like appointment. TV, if you want to call it that, is like, oh boy, they've got a sprint race this uh, weekend. It's like, you know, clear my calendar. I got to sit down and make sure that I watch this one live. Uh, you know, I, I must admit that over the course of the entire weekend, I I would say for me, I I don't find it as compelling as as just the regular qualifying. You know, it's, it's just qualifying. like, with like I, I just don't know how they can improve on the regular qualifying because we had that bizarre rolling knockoff kind of thing like several years ago, which they 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 KO'd after like, was it two or three races because it just didn't that rolling cutoff just didn't really work. And then they've gone back to like this, you know, this qualifying format that we've had now for what, 25 years, 30 yeah. years, like going back way back to the early 90s. And yeah, there's probably improvements to be made on it, but it works pretty good. I mean, you get those, you lose five cars in Q1, you lose five cars after Q2, you get the, um, you know, you get the top 10 shootout and it can be pretty exciting. I, I, I still think it works. I still like it. And, you know, if, if somebody says to me, okay, you can only pick one sprint race or qualifying, which one are you going with? I'm going the, the current qualifying format, hands down. Me too. No, yeah. 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 Me too. Only because like, I love, I think for myself, I want to see who the fastest driver is on the track. And that's what qualifying determines. Qualifying determines 
who is the fastest and it's a different skill set. Like qualifying is a different skill set from racing. Racing is a different skill set from all of the others. And for me, qualifying is always the hardest. It's extremely mm-hmm. difficult. You got to take the car right to the edge. You got to put it there and you got to can't make a mistake no matter how small or minute detail it is. So I think for like for myself, I, I love qualifying and I don't ever want to lose it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's totally. Pretty, that's, yeah, that pretty much does it for for questions. Uh, Hammy, you got had some good ones in there. Yeah, there were some good ones in there th- this week uh, for sure. I'm surprised that uh, Mark didn't drop a couple in there. I thought that uh, for sure because uh, <laughs> he said he could draw. He could join us at the last moment tonight. That he could would have thrown in there. Maybe he did from his burner account. We just don't know yet. So, <laughs> but it's all good. But you know, that's all I got tonight, brother. I don't yeah, know man. about you. If there's uh, anything else that you want to no. add to to this one. That pretty much does it. Uh, does it for me. Does it for us. Uh, thanks everyone for for listening. This has been the TSN Racing Pod and the Scuderia F1 Pod uh, mashup. If you want more from the Scuderia F1 Pod, you can get them at Scuderia F1 Pod. If you want more from me, you can get me at Tim Haraney. You can get TSN Racing Pod wherever you get your podcasts as well. You can get the Scuderia F1 Pod wherever you get your podcasts as well. Daily, brother. Thanks again for doing this, man. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, always, Tim. Enjoy doing it and look forward to to doing it again soon.